0: In the third chapter of John, Jesus uses the womb, the water, and the wind to explain to Nicodemus what regeneration is all about. Jesus often used natural examples to illustrate spiritual occurrences. By describing regeneration as a new birth, he clearly set forth the fact that man has nothing to do with it. A baby is not born by his own volition and neither can he prevent his birth by an exercise of his will. Likewise, the water is used in many places as an analogy of the Spirit of God, which operates sovereignly and on his own timetable. Finally, Jesus uses the wind as an example of regeneration, and points out the fact that you cannot control the wind, that it blows where it wishes. On yesterday's podcast episode, we heard the first half of this message, which primarily dealt with Jesus using the womb as a representation of regeneration through the new birth. Today we hear the conclusion of this message, which finishes up our discussion of the womb as a representation of regeneration through the new birth, and we see how the water and the wind also perfectly demonstrate to us that regeneration is solely and wholly in the hands of God. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Well Where- Verse 44 explains something else about this coming to him. No man can come to me, except, there's an exception here. Here's the exception. Except the Father, which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So notice what we've got here. We've got all that the Father gives him coming to him. All of them will be born again. They can't come to him on their own. No man can come unto me. And by the way, just in case you're worried about those people that are trying to come to Him but can't because Jesus won't let them. Jesus Jesus said over in the 5th chapter, in the 40th verse, He said, ye will not come unto Me that ye might have eternal life. You know, that's not an offer, Brother Joe. That's an indictment. That's right. That's an indictment. That's what we're in. That's the condition. The natural man, 1 Corinthians 2.14, tells us about that. The natural man... Receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. See, that's the state we're in when we're dead. We, we wouldn't... It's Brother Mike Goins. I keep quoting him. I'm going to keep quoting him. One of these days I'm going to forget he said it, and I'm, y'all going to think I said it, but I didn't. It's Brother Mike Goins. Remember, it's on tape here. It's Brother Mike Goins. We're in such a condition that we would not come to him if we could, and we could not come to him if we would. You see... No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me drawing. Praise God for that exception. God will draw his children. But the natural birth happens without any hindrance from the child being born. You see, in the right time, at the time appointed by God, that child of God who was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and for whom Jesus died will be born again, mm-hmm. apart from the exercise of their will. Notice something else about the birth. The natural birth happens before evidence of life appears. Correct? A baby doesn't cry to get born. A baby cries because he's been born. A baby doesn't cry to get life. He doesn't move to get life. He doesn't reach out for his mother's breast to get life. He does all that because he has life. That kind of... That's the same idea that I've told you about many times. Brother Brother Spann, Brother Raymond Spann, my pastor for many years, uh, put it out here like this. He had heard it from, I think, his grandfather. He said that burden of sin that people talk about, and there is a burden of sin. There is conviction of sin, beloved. But he said it's like this. The burden of sin is as if you took a thousand pound weight and placed it on the chest of a dead man. You put that weight on the chest of a dead man. The dead man won't say anything. He won't feel anything. Right. He won't respond to anything because he's dead, right? But you take that same thousand-pound weight and you put it on a live man's chest. He'll start squealing. Yeah. <laughs> he'll start. He'll start calling out. There'll be some repercussions. He will feel that. And that kind of puts Matthew chapter eleven and verse twenty-eight in a little different perspective, doesn't it? In Matthew chapter eleven, you know, we don't need to abdicate, beloved any scriptures to the world these are not worldly scriptures or denominational world scriptures these are primitive baptist scriptures okay they're bible scriptures i should say you know when i say they're primitive baptist scriptures i don't mean we have an appropriation on them i just mean that we ought to be using them too they are they're ours come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest Jesus said that, but He didn't say it to a dead alien sinner. He said it to one who is laboring. He said it to one who is heavy laden. He didn't say, come to me if you're laboring and heavy laden and I'll give you eternal life. He said, come to me if you're laboring under the heavy burden of sin that you feel only because you've been born again, because a baby doesn't cry until he's born. (laughs) Then I'll give you rest from that labor. You know how I'll give you rest? I will give you rest by showing you that you have no more works to do to get to heaven. That I did it all. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. You see, the natural birth happens before evidence of life appears. Okay? So Jesus used the womb as one example uh, or as one term to describe the new birth. What about Verse 5, verse 5 of John chapter 3, he says, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Again, remember here in this passage, as in all the times that he's speaking, he's using terminology that his audience would understand. Nicodemus was a man learned in, in the scriptures. He was a leader of the Jews. And Nicodemus would have understood, and we need to understand, that the Holy Spirit was often symbolized by water right. in the Old Testament. For example, and by the way, he had just used the term in verse 3, except a man be born again, and literally that means from above. If you have a center column Bible like I do, that's what it says. There. There's a note there that says... From above. See, that's pointing us already to the fact that the new birth is something that the Holy Spirit brings. Over in Isaiah chapter 44, we'll just look there first. In verse uh, verse 1, he says, Hear, Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen, thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and now, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Now look at verse 3 For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring here he's using water and the spirit interchangeably he's using them as an example there over in ezekiel chapter 36 look with me over there for just a minute over this is even better even clearer reference here in ezekiel chapter t- uh, 36 in verse 25 uh, God speaking through Ezekiel here says then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. What's he talking about here? He makes it pretty plain in the next verse. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you an heart of flesh. Right here in the Old Testament he's used water and the Holy Spirit as an example of each other. And that's what he's using here. He's saying Nicodemus, it's like the water. It's the spirit is like the water that I talked about in the Old Testament. The refreshing new uh, uh, spirit that I will pour out upon you. Oh, he's he's telling him some precious truths. And we need to grasp them too, beloved. He says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. And by the way, the word and there also is in Thayer's Greek lexicon. It it, it defines it this way. It marks something added to what has already been said or that of which something already said holds good. Strong's calls this uh, Greek Greek, um, word, a primary particle having a copulative or connecting and sometimes also a cumulative force. It can be used as and or also or even or so then or to. In other words, except a man be born of water and that word and can also be even or also the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He's describing the same thing. Jesus used water elsewhere to assemble the spirit, did he not? Just a, just a chapter over, he told a woman at a well, In chapter 4, in verse 13, "...whosoever drinketh this water," pointing to the water in the well, "...shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst." But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. In other words, he's not talking about that you're going to literally have a well of H2O in your heart. That would be deadly, (laughs) okay? That would be a problem you'd have to have surgery for. What he's talking about is that he's going to have the water of the Spirit. The, The Holy Spirit itself will be welling up inside you. And in case that's not clear enough... Jesus, over in the 7th chapter of John, in the 37th verse, he says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this he spake of, according to verse 39, of the Spirit. This he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. See right there, he's using him. He's using water uh, to typify the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about here. You know, think about, think about water. What does water do? What do you need when you're nasty and dirty and you've been outside working? You need to go inside and take an oil bath or a gasoline bath? No, you need to come in and get a shower, right? That pure, clean water. That's what water does. It cleans you. You know what the Holy Spirit does? It cleanses. It cleanses. You know what else you can do with water? You can pour it. You can pour it. Joel tells us in the second chapter that there's going to be a time when he'll pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. Oh, this, this Holy Spirit, this water that he's talking about is such a sweet... Uh, terminology to use in describing the new birth. And then finally, as we bring this to a close. What about the wind? Remember what he said in John the third chapter? First of all, in verse seven, he makes a very important statement that we need to never forget. Marvel not, or verse six, I'm sorry. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. We, we don't believe in natural evolution here at this church we don't believe that we evolved from apes or that in some of the primordial goo over there billions of years ago life evolved somehow we don't believe in that there's a lot of people that teach it we don't believe that most churches don't believe that in the at least in the evangelical world okay but too many churches teach some form of spiritual evolution While they reject physical or natural evolution, they teach spiritual evolution that somehow that which is flesh can become spirit. Or that which is flesh can somehow lay hold upon the spirit. But Jesus said that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So the birth of the flesh yields only flesh. But the only way you get spirit is to be born that way. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. He said, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And here he starts using the wind to describe... The new birth. By the way, the wind is often used to describe the Spirit of God. In fact, the first time we read about the Spirit of God in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That's the Hebrew word ruach, which also is a Hebrew word for wind. So, once again, he's using a term that Nicodemus would have understood. Notice what it says it blows where it wishes. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. No preacher can harness the Spirit of God any more than any meteorologist can harness the wind. When they're on TV forecasting the tornadoes, they're not directing the tornadoes, they're just telling us where they see them going. You know what a preacher can do? A preacher can tell you what's happened to you. Preacher can see the results, but he can't cause it to happen. No man can harness the wind. And yet that's how Jesus describes the new birth. Now, there are men who will tell you, there are places you can go, they'll tell you if you do A, B, and C, you follow steps 1, 2, and 3. You pray this prayer. You, you, you take this step. You do this act. Whatever it may be, then you have harnessed the Spirit because the Spirit will come. Beloved, those things don't have anything to do to harnessing the Spirit of God any more than anybody can harness the wind. It blows where it wishes. But notice also that it causes a stir. (laughs) It causes a stir. It said, you you can't tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth, but you hear the sound thereof. Beloved, we don't believe in a hololog theory of the new birth. You know, that was a theory that went around, I understand, many years ago among the primitive Baptists that the Holy Spirit, the new birth, is like a rabbit running through a hollow log. It just passes through and doesn't leave any results. Beloved, we don't believe in that. (laughs) We don't believe that at all. We believe there is a difference of you uh, uh, before uh, before you're born again and after you're born again. There's a difference between you as a born-again child of God and one who's not. Now, you may not know everything you need to know. You may not understand everything you need to understand. You may not believe everything you need to believe, but there's a difference in your life. Yes. I always think about dear Elder Martin Anyani and how that he told the story of his conversion ultimately, but it started out where he was not interested at all. He didn't have any problem running around doing things he shouldn't be doing and being mean to his wife and family and neglecting them. Didn't bother him at all. And then one day it did. Yeah. One day it did. One day he couldn't do it anymore without feeling convicted about it. And, and he couldn't understand what had happened to him until finally he, he heard the gospel message preached. He said, that's what's happened to me. I've been born again. Amen. <laughs> you see, it left a mark on him. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1, we read Paul describing the new birth this way, You hath he quickened, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Now notice, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. I said this yesterday and I'll say it again. I'm thankful it didn't say we were children of wrath. It said we by nature were. We had the same nature, but praise God, if you've ever been a child of God, you've always been a child of God. So thankful for that. Notice there though, where we were, this is how we were. We were just like everyone else in the world. We were just happy as we could be, fulfilling the lusts of the flesh, walking according to the prince of the power of the air, living like the children of disobedience. But notice What's happened after the quickening? But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. Notice that what happened to us wasn't but me. It was but God. But I did something. But the preacher did something. But the church did something. But somebody else prayed. Somebody else. No, beloved. The new birth is not of, of, of the flesh or the will of the flesh. Not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man. But of God. Amen. But God who is rich in mercy for His great love. And notice this. <laughs> he didn't quicken us once we got good enough. He didn't quicken us once we took the proper steps. No. He didn't quicken us once we prayed the proper prayer. He quickened us even when we were dead in sin. Thank you. Amen. Isn't that glorious? I tell you, beloved, I'm so thankful He didn't put the burden on me that those Judaizing missionaries put on those new Christians down there in Acts 15. So you got to be circled. That's yeah, not enough that you you've been born again and believe it's it's that you now have to keep be circumcised and keep the law of Moses no that's a yoke that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear but notice what happened he hath raised us up together made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and in the ages to come he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So let me leave it with you here like this. The womb, the water, and the wind describe what happens in the new birth. And in no case does it have any involvement from your eye. And he says finally, so is everyone that is born in the Spirit. So that tells me something important there, that this new birth occurs in exactly the same way in every single child of God. That's right. So if we can find one example of one person who was born again, apart from believing the gospel, apart from hearing the word, apart from the efforts of men, apart from any, anything like that, then we can say everyone is born that way. You could talk about the thief on the cross. You could talk about Paul on the road to Damascus and neither of whom were searching for Christ. But the best example beloved, it is found in the first chapter of Luke. I won't turn there, but you can. And you read about a young child in the womb, in the womb of Elizabeth, his mother. And when he came into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ who was still in the womb of his mother Mary, he leaped in her womb for joy. You know what joy is? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. That means it is, comes only by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God brings joy. Those who aren't born again don't feel the joy of the Spirit. They, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, They're foolishness unto him. But that little baby in the womb felt the joy of the Spirit. You know why? Because he was born again right there. You know what that tells me? Every single child of God, every single elect child of God who was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world are going to be born again in the same way